Great to be with you. Thank you very much for your welcome and your invitation. Um, you may have guessed we're going to start with this passage of Scripture, which is from Matthew 28. Um, and so I'm going to read that, and then I'm going to preach, and then I'm going to stop, and we'll see what happens after that. Okay, Matthew 28, from verse 16. I think I've got all the technology. Uh, I think I know what to do with this. And I feel like Madonna with this. Um, but I think it's... I don't look like a... Which is good. I think that's a good thing. Um, okay. So, Matthew 28 from verse 16. Um, I'm going to take my coat off first thing. Right, I'm staying there. <laughs> okay. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, many of you will know this is called the Great Commission. Jesus, after his resurrection, before his ascension, spoke these vital words to his followers and um, and these are the words I'd like us to have a look at today as we think about the advance of the gospel uh, because from these words we're clearly called by the Lord Jesus to go into all the world we're called to tell other people about God we're called to evangelism and to witnessing and there are a number of things that I'd like to talk about in regard to what Jesus has said here which I think are important for us to hear uh, and in many cases be reminded of. Because when we talk about this sort of subject, and I spend a lot of time talking about this subject because generally my uh, prime responsibility is for evangelism in my local church and in the region, and so I spend a lot of time talking about this, and I've, I've noticed really that um, when we talk about uh, the importance of sharing our faith, the importance of witnessing, it's not always necessarily that we're learning lots of new things. We're being reminded of things that we already know. It's, it's a, I've, I've used this analogy before. I know Rupert's heard it. It's a bit like speed limit signs on roads. You know, we know the limit, but sometimes it's really hard to stick to what we know. And so it's really useful just occasionally to be reminded. And so that's, that's the case with this subject. And so I'd like to start by saying, well, what does the Great Commission tell us? Well, it tells us to go into the world and make disciples for Jesus. Now, that clearly involves telling people about Jesus in the first place. It also talks about training people to obey and to follow God. It tells us to baptize those people as they come to faith, as they become Christians. And so here we, we really find Jesus clearly stating that we, as people have a job to do, as we've just been singing about. The work on work here is not yet done. Um, we have a job to do, and it's about reaching others with the good news of Jesus Christ in order that they are born again, that they become believers, that they become Christians, that they get baptized, and that they go on with God as true disciples. And if, in effect, that's what we're told. That's the straightforward message of what Jesus is speaking about here. Uh, and so what can we learn about application from the Great Commission? That's what we're going to have a, really, have a, have a look at. And uh, the first thing 
I would like to say in this regard is this. It's never been revoked. So in other words, Jesus didn't change his mind. You know, he commissioned his first followers and subsequently all of his followers with these words and he's never taken those words back. He didn't suddenly say, hey guys, this great commission thing isn't really working out. Here's a new plan. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So therefore go and form committees about flower rotors. He never said that. He, d- he didn't do that. He didn't say, I'll tell you what, rather than making disciples, why don't you spend all your time and your effort and your energy criticizing everyone else's theology, moaning about what the church should be like, the church should be more like this or more like that, the church should be more welcoming for these people or more welcoming for those people. Why don't you do that? He never said that. He never said that. Jesus didn't say, hey guys, why not go into none of the world, just sit on your sofa, watch massive amounts of God TV, and at the end of it, you'll be able to predict really accurately when I'll come back again and you can put it on a spreadsheet. <laughs> now, you may feel I'm being slightly cynical here, um, but in all honesty, lots of Christians waste loads of time on rubbish, don't they? On absolute nonsense. And, and Jesus never said any of that. So it appears to me that the Great Commission is still in force. Secondly, that the, the Great Commission is not only... Uh, not revoked, it's also unfulfilled. It's a job unfinished, an uncompleted task, a mission still to be accomplished. And and so these words, they've now stood for 2,000 years and they still need to be shaping our understanding of what Christianity is all about. This is actually, and this is a, a challenging statement, but I would say to you, this is actually what godliness is about. We are not godly unless we have an overwhelming concern for people who are lost. We cannot be godly unless we share our heavenly Father's concern for those who are outside his kingdom. God was so concerned for those people that he sent his son to die, as we've just sung about. The most precious thing he had, someone said, You know, you send your only son. The most precious thing he had. He sent his son to die for those who are outside the context of his kingdom. And so we are godly, surely, when we share in God the Father's heart for those who are currently in darkness. Okay, the next thing about the Great Commission is this. It was given in the context of obedience. Who commissioned us? Jesus. Who's the boss? Jesus. Who's the daddy? Jesus. Who's the man? Jesus. Who's in charge? Jesus is in charge. So even if there were no other reasons given, even if there was no other explanation made, even if nothing else was said on the subject, Jesus says so, we do it. We get out there. Whether we like it or not, whether we think we're any good at it or not, he's the boss. He said so. We do it. Now, the great thing is he gives us things to do which ultimately bless us and fulfill us. He has our best interest at heart and he's constantly with us by his Holy Spirit, as David encouraged us to to pray about, uh, as, as we do these things. And more than that, he rewards us for doing them. It's not like some egotistical regimental sergeant major who says, you know, to, to a soldier, Sonny, go and stand over in that barrel of water and st- 
repeat after me, I'm a worthless tadpole. He doesn't do those sorts of things because, you know, that would be rather meaningless. And, and Jesus calls us to do things because he loves us. He wants the best for us. And he knows we will be blessed as we do these things. The next thing to say here is that in verse 17, you'll notice that it mentions that these guys, these very first followers, they saw Jesus. They saw Jesus. And as a result of seeing Jesus, the disciples worshipped him. So evangelism and witnessing not only come out of obedience, they come out of worship as well. Who takes the gospel to their friends? The person who worships Jesus. Now these men were experiencing, weren't they, the presence of the risen Jesus. They they were full of worship. And this led them to to bring their gospel to their world. It's a natural process, isn't it? Experiencing Jesus, worship, and gospel advance. That's a process. As we experience the presence of Jesus through his wonderful Holy Spirit, we're caught up in worship, and that leads on to witnessing. And Jesus himself said it elsewhere, didn't he? He said, you will receive my Holy Spirit. That's such a great tune, isn't it? Should we just listen to this tune for a minute? I think it's just, it's been destroyed. Have you destroyed it? Have you actually killed your phone? That's enough. Yeah. Hear this stamp and the tune fades. As we experience Jesus through his wonderful Holy Spirit, we're caught up in worship and that leads us on to witnessing. And Jesus himself said, you will receive my Holy Spirit and then you will be my witnesses. And so this is precisely, of course, what happened, isn't it, on the day of Pentecost. You know, the Christians, the very first believers, they received the Holy Spirit in power. Worship came out of that. And then the proclamation of the gospel, 3,000 saved. Bang. A question for people here today, and we've sort of already touched on it as we moved into that worship song and different exhortations from different people, different prayers prayed. A question for every person in this room. Have you seen Jesus? Have you experienced the presence of the risen Lord Jesus? If not, I want you to come forward and we'll pray for you later because what David brought in terms of the receiving of the Holy Spirit is an absolutely vital factor in regard to this whole process. As I was preparing this talk, I felt Jesus speak to me and say, if this place is full of me, it will be full of people. Because actually, that's, that's what it's about. When we come face to face with the living God, actually what happens is we, we can't wait to tell other people about him. We just can't wait. That's what happened to Isaiah, wasn't it? This, this ancient prophet, he saw the Lord. He was overwhelmed by the vision. And then he worshipped. And then the call to mission went, went out, didn't it? And Isaiah was there with his hand up saying, I'll go, here am I, send me, send me. I'll go. Witnesses, according to law, according to legal... My, my wife, Helen's a lawyer, so she should know. But according to legal, the legal system in our country, witnesses are defined as people who simply report what they have seen or experienced. And it's the same for us. As we come face to face with God, then as witnesses, we just go out and we report it. And in... 
And actually, the very act of witnessing is worship. Because, of course, we know, don't we? And this has been said many times. Witnessing uh, and, and, you know, all of that and worship, of course, is about lifestyle. So, for example, we should be known as people who live in our communities who are people who are, who are reliable and, and trustworthy and honest. And, and so these are really important things. I just realized I got my notes in the wrong order here. Okay, I think I've lost a note. I've lost a thing, but never mind. Um, we should be known for our integrity. I've got a story to tell you anyway, so I'll tell you the story. We have, <clears throat> we have five pets and uh, two cats and a goldfish. And as we think about the whole issue of integrity, so what did I say? Two cats and three goldfish. <laughs> that makes five, doesn't it? Yeah, you're not far off. Now, uh, as we talk about integrity in, in worship and integrity in our lives, I just want to tell you this story. Well, I don't want to tell you, but I think it illustrates a point very well. Two cats, three goldfish. We foolishly allowed our boys to name our pets. And so if you ever hear me, if you get in Shrewsbury and you ever hear me standing on the doorstep saying, Squeak, lovely, where are you? <laughs> yes, those are the names of our cats. Isaac named his cat Squeak and Reuben called his cat Lovely. But to be honest, compared with the fish, that's nothing. You know, um, Our three fish have some extraordinary names. We have Cinders. We have Noddy Nora and Frilly Knickers. Okay? I want to say one thing to you today. If you remember nothing else from what I say today, let me give you this piece of advice. Don't let your kids name your, your pets. Okay? Um, now, the story I want to tell you revolves around one of the fish. One morning, just before Christmas, I spotted one of the fish floating on the top of the water. Now, I'm no marine biologist, but um, you know, I thought this, this isn't good. And the unsurprising result was of this was me sending our little friend to the place where all good fish go with one flush. And, um, and then, then a text on my mobile to Helen, which said, Frilly Knickers has gone to be with Jesus. And so now we decided not to tell the boys straight away because thought, you know, we'll keep it quiet till after Christmas. And so it was New Year before the boys discovered we were a pet down. And it was discovered, unfortunately, in a rather traumatic way. Our fish are kept in a tank on the landing on our first floor of our house. Um, and um, for obvious reasons, the cats are not allowed upstairs. Now, one day, Isaac went to the loo and Reuben's cat, lovely, uh, managed to sneak upstairs with him. So as Isaac came out of the loo, he saw lovely crouched over the tank. And he shooed it downstairs and he, you know, checked on the fish to make sure they were all OK. And of course, he did a head count. He realized we were one man down. <laughs> And he made the assumption that poor old Frillinickers had been brutally murdered by Lovely the Cat and was inconsolable until I managed to convince him that, you know, that Frillinickers peacefully died in his sleep and all was well. And, and it was a few weeks earlier. Uh, but when the news broke, um, Dad and Isaac and Reuben embarked on a trip to the pet shop. And this is really where I want to get to. There is some point in this, I promise you. Um, and we chose a fish and we called the assistant who then produced a clipboard, right? With a questionnaire that I had to complete before I was allowed to purchase Frillinickers II for a cost of 99p. <laughs> Question one. 
Does your tank have a filter? Answer, no. Game over. I'm sorry, sir, you can't have a fish. What? I've got two fish in a tank without a filter. Sorry, sir, we're not allowed to sell you a fish unless your tank has a filter. So what do I do? Well, sir, don't worry. Over here, we have filters for sale. <laughs> 17 pounds fish, 17 pounds each. But you will need a compatible tank over here, 20 pounds. I don't know if you're thinking what I was thinking here, but um, anyway, we left the shop with nothing. No tank, no filter, no fish, Reuben in tears. I said, don't worry, Rubes, mommy will solve it. <laughs> and yes, here is my confession, right? Here is my confession. My plan was for mummy to go back to the shop and when the man said, do you have a filter? Mummy would say, yes. And, and that wouldn't be a lie because we have a filter on our kettle. <laughs> Nigel? I, I've just bought a hundred fish, all fish, for the fun day at Brintag where you pick the duck up and you turn the number on the bottom, yeah. you can win a fish. No tank, no filter, you just have to come to Brintay and get the duck and the number. Oh, see, this is, this is why the Welsh Assembly is such a good thing. <laughs> and, and they're ripping you off for 35 fish. He's making 60 odd fish. For 35, you buy 100 goldfish for 35 fish. Come to Wrexham. I can see. I can see. I, I mean, that, that's not helping. It's not helping, Nigel, at all. But, um, yeah, anyway, I, I, didn't feel, I didn't feel that this would be a lie, sending mummy into the shop to say, yes, we have a filter. Um, I know, I know, I was wrong. Something which was made abundantly clear to me when I proposed this idea to Helen, who, who the first statement she said is, are you really a church leader? That was the first thing she said. <laughs> the very same week, Martin Charlesworth asked me to preach in Barnabas on the subject... Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Talk about rubbing it in. Now, by the way, we have a tank with a filter, a brand new Frilly Knickers who seems to be enjoying her new environment. It didn't cost us a penny because God honoured my wife's commitment to truth in spite of her sinful husband. Um, now, I think... Actually, I tell that story because it illustrates something which is at the heart of what we're talking about in the context of witnessing here. Because we're talking here about integrity, truth, honesty, and how easy it is to lie. How inconvenient it can be at times to tell the truth. You might say, oh, it's only a fish. But I've chosen a relatively trivial example to help us see how easily these things catch us out, entangle us, surprise us, and how easy we can justify our actions. Because truth has power. We're told to embrace truth. We're given the power to live it out. And witnessing is about lifestyle. And, and our life is about choosing, in, this, in the context of this, our life is about choosing whether we worship Jesus or not. In every decision we make. Whether we worship Jesus or whether we sometimes worship something else. In verse 17, they worship Jesus, and then in verse 18, notice, he goes, to talk, goes on to talk about his authority. And I believe that worship and authority are clearly connected in Scripture. Here they're connected very clearly. They worship Jesus, and then he goes, to say, he goes on to say, all authority 
Very interesting. Remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? And, and, and you know, the devil said, you, you worship me and I will give you authority over. It's very clear connections between worship and authority. And I believe that's the case because whatever we worship, we give authority to. Money is an obvious example, isn't it? Child worship is prominent in our society today, I suggest to you. And when we worship our children, we give them too much authority. Relationships is another example. You know, worship is, is more than a bit of Matt Redman or Simon Brading on a Sunday morning, isn't it? Worship is about choosing to go God's way instead of our own way. Worship is about those moments where our own will cuts across God's will. And we have to choose whether or not we're up for doing what we know is right. And so, and so meeting with Jesus causes us to, to worship, and that worship continues as we continue to witness. Do you realize that Jesus, as far as I'm aware, only mentions worship once? And that's while he's witnessing to a Samaritan woman at the well. Now, I find it very interesting that the only mention that Jesus makes of worship is in the context of evangelism. Isn't that interesting? Given that you know, the church, I think, at times is in danger of making worship a very in-house thing, the fact that Jesus only ever talks about it with an unbeliever fascinates me. Now, we all know, don't we, that uh, evangelism and, and witnessing, it's a hard subject. And some people dread an evangelist coming or someone coming and talking about you know, the need to be out there witnessing and out there evangelizing. Some people dread that. You know, and and uh, you feel that you're excluded from the whole discussion. You, you can't imagine how you could ever speak to a friend or a colleague or anyone about God. You, your mind is full of doubt. You dread the E word, don't you? Uh, and you just can't face the idea of doing it. And you want to be obedient to Jesus, but you're just so... Full of doubt. Full of doubt. And yet there's a bit in this passage which is just for you. And we find it at the end of verse 17. Some of them doubted. And yet Jesus commissioned all of them, didn't he? He commissioned those who are full of faith and those who are full of doubt. He, and I just want to, oh, I'll just bring it up. Doubters. So if you're here today and you're a doubter, on the one hand, I want to say take heart because Jesus has included you even if you're battling with doubt. On the other hand, be challenged. Just because you're full of doubt doesn't let you off the hook. I actually want people to be motivated and encouraged today. You may doubt your ability as a witness. You may doubt your ability to talk to other people about Jesus. You may doubt your past track record. You may doubt your inner confidence. If that's you, what I want to say to you today is congratulations because you qualify. According to this passage of scripture, you qualify. You are commissioned with those doubters back there 2,000 years ago. You are commissioned along with all the other doubters over the last 2,000 years of history. You are commissioned. It's, it's so easy, isn't it, to feel unqualified, unable to do it. You, we can easily feel we've got nothing to offer. I, I feel like that a lot of the time, most of the time. But when I feel like this, I remind myself 
Do you know that time where the, the, the two prominent church leaders, the New Testament, Peter and John, they're hauled before the religious leaders? By the way, religious people are usually people who do get in the way of a, the advance of the gospel. And, uh, and these people, Peter and John, they were hauled before religious leaders. And, um, and when I, I feel useless and incapable, I remember this story. Uh, because the, Peter and John, they were hauled before these people and they were, they were referred to as unschooled, ordinary men. Now the original Greek here uh, is actually ungrammatoi idiotoi. Which you may be able to tell is literally translated ungrammatical idiots. And when I hear that, uh, and I think to myself, ungrammatical idiots. Hey, I qualify. (laughs) Peter and John were unschooled bumpkins. They qualify. They're like me. I qualify. And then the Holy Spirit reminds me why they qualify. And it says in that passage, they had been with Jesus. That was their qualification. They had let Jesus come into their humanity and their weakness and their doubting. And so those of us, me included, those of us who battle and doubt, let's not worry, we're not excluded. We're part of this. Now, next, the whole language of this passage tells us that, that we who evangelize We are an invading army. We're not a retreating army, as some would have us believe. We're active, not passive. We're we're initiators, not reactors. Jesus doesn't use the word sit or stay or loiter or hang about. He uses the word go. He's saying, off you go, go get them. We're to push back the powers of darkness, point people to the glorious truth of Jesus, and invite them to come and see that God is good. This is about a process of multiplication. Because the the great commission of Jesus Christ, it, it ripples down and echoes down and out across this world. It stretches out over 2,000 years, And more than 2,000 miles to reach you and to reach me. And, And it impacts our hearts and minds. It changes our lives. It shapes our moral choices. This is a living thing. These words of Jesus... Uh, it's a living thing. The Great Commission is a living thing. And when we attach ourselves to a living thing, we can't stay still. If you notice that, if you take a big dog for a walk... You can't stay still. If you get on a horse, you can't stay still. You attach yourself to a living thing, you won't stay still. So if we attach ourselves to these words, to this great commission, which is a living thing, we can't stay still. These words that are uttered by Jesus propel us forward as we continue to obey him. It's very exciting. Finally, the great commission emphasizes discipleship. Of course, babies are great, but... We would be rather surprised if they stayed as babies. We do need them to grow. And uh, only God can make things grow, actually, can't he? We know that in in nature and in the supernatural. But we can sow, we can feed, we can water, we can care for those who are growing. As we become disciples, we grow in three ways. We grow in character, in knowledge, and in gifts. So as we think about the advance of the gospel, we can see that Jesus gives us all sorts of clear 
signals and signposts as he tells us to go into the world for the sake of his kingdom. So these are words of encouragement for you, but I want us to think a little bit about practicalities because Jesus says this, he says, doesn't he? Go into the world. But what's the world like? What is the world like that we are called to go into? Well, the world that we go into has been ensnared by the stronghold of individualism. Do you know there's been a vast increase in the building of single tenant houses in the last decade? People are on their own more than they've ever been before. And of course, things like the PC has increased this overwhelming sense of isolation, online shopping, online banking, automated telephone systems. You know, if I want to know what the weather's like in India, I ring my bank. Took a while, one, two, got it. Um, you know, chat rooms, social networking, TV games. People are living their lives without people. And people long for community because it's within us, isn't it? People long for relational intimacy. And our world is becoming saturated in sex, but stunted socially and relationally. Over a third of all marriages end in divorce. And so we go into this lost and lonely and desperate world with a message which is reiterated in that song. A message about family. A message about a father who loves them. A message about a son who died for them. And a message about a family who are held together by the unity of the Holy Spirit. We can tell them about community. We can tell them about acceptance. We can tell them about love. The reality is, for these people, these isolated, lonely relationally stunted, desperate people, the Christian message is actually the, the only hope for them. It's the only hope for them. So Jesus says, go into all the world. What else is the world like? Well, it would appear, wouldn't it, that the financial dream is dying. Money wasn't the answer after all. And the world is reeling from the collapse of this God, mammon, money. Its authority seems to be diminishing and those who once worshipped are now disillusioned, discouraged, disappointed. And so we go into that world with a promise of heavenly riches, with a promise of an eternal inheritance, with a promise of treasures in heaven, a deposit now, real security, true stability. What else is the world about? Well, the world is shocked by death, and very afraid of dying, paranoid about illness, terrified of the grave, fearful of the unknown, not, not really knowing how to face the reality of our mortality. So what happens? Well, the young and the beautiful are celebrated, the old and the diseased are ignored or hidden. And we go into that world declaring that death has been conquered, declaring that Jesus is alive, saying he is the one who has conquered the grave and anyone can come to him and receive life. The young, the old, the rich, the poor, he doesn't discriminate in the way that the world does. And so we can go into this world and we can see quite clearly that the world 
desperately needs us to go. Okay, here's another question. Who do we go to? Well, we go to our families. Reuben, my youngest son, said to me a few weeks ago, said, Daddy, would you still love me if I didn't believe in God? What a question, eh? I said, no. No, I didn't. I didn't say that. No, that's, that's not true. That's not true. I said, sorry, sorry. I said, I said, this is what I said. I said, Rubes, I will always love you. It's just that I love you so much, I want you to know God. And he said, Daddy, don't worry. I'll always be a Christian. <laughs> I thought, ah, that's good. that's good. But our family are often the ones we're closest to, and yet sometimes the ones that we, mo- we find most difficult to come to God. Why is that? Well, I think sometimes we're, we're so close, aren't we? And, and we need others to witness rather than us. We, you know, sometimes we feel that the stakes are so high, we dare not invite them to anything in case they reject the offer. And, and you know, then we feel, oh, they've drifted even further away from God. Sometimes it's difficult with our families because our families see everything about us. They see the worst of us as well as the best of us. They see, it, see us at our least godly. And there may well be people in this room today and you're deeply saddened by the fact that close members of your family are drifted from God or not believers at all. I want to say that I want to encourage this church to stand with you, to pray with you, to witness with you because God loves families. He invented them. And I do genuinely believe he wants to save whole families. And I want to say to you, if you're in that position today, hang in there and don't give up because I'm sure this church, because I know the heart of this church, this church will hold on with you, will stand with you, will pray with you, will help you reach those who are so close to you. But again, if you feel that was a That was like a shot in your heart. As I mentioned, families and those who are not close to God, I'd love to pray for you at the end and ask God's help and blessing, strength, encouragement, motivation, because you can feel, oh, I'm just the only one, or, you know, there's this person, this member of my family. And that can be really tough. So I'd love to pray for you at the end if that's appropriate. Who else do we go to? Well, we go to our work colleagues. And included in that, I mention schools and colleges, this university here, those of us who go to work, we don't go to work to witness to our colleagues. We go to work with an understanding that God wants to invade and inhabit that place of work. He wants to, God's plan is to fill all things of creation with all things of Christ. And so, Your presence in the workplace and your attitude there is part of God's plan to fulfill his great commission. The fact that you go there as a Christian and how you respond and conduct yourself there is part of God's plan to fulfill the great commission. Don't forget that. Jim Wallace once said, what you do on Monday morning is what you believe. Everything else is religion. What you do on Monday morning is what you believe. Who else do we go to? Well, we go to our neighbours. 
As we walk out of our front doors every day, we should have the Great Commission ringing in our ears. And um, Helen's laughing because our neighbors, we have really great neighbors. And next door to us, we have a a lady with um, some teenage daughters, and they were making uh, a bit of a row last night while Isaac, who's feeling a bit poorly, wanted to go to sleep. And in the Lord, I banged on the wall. And um, I've not yet spoken to them, so I feel the integrity of what I'm saying now is weakened slightly. But at least I'm confessing my sin to you. Uh, in fact, I'm doing too much. I, and this may be the last talk you'll ever hear me give, to be honest. Um, but in all honesty, I, I remember when we moved into our, into our house, when we moved into our street, we put cards through the doors of all the houses around where we were, explaining who we were and inviting people to just to come and say hello. And it was so easy. You know, card through a door. You know, anyone can do that. But out of that very simple strategy, we've built wonderful relationships with those who live right by us. There's a single mom who lives over the road. She, she arrived on our doorstep in tears because of disputes with her ex-husband. Her six-year-old son, clearly, um, you know, he's obviously upset and confused about what's going on. He's, he's taken it out on his mom. And his behavior towards his mom has been pretty bad. And in that context, she said to me, would you, would you, Terry, please, you know, sit down with him and talk to him about the right way to treat his mom? Now, what a privilege that is. Isn't that incredible? The final category of people are people that we socialize with. Recently, I went to the pub with uh, one of the dads from our boys' school to watch my favorite team, Liverpool, crash out of the European Cup, something I don't want to talk about and never want mentioned again. While we were watching this terrible and tragic game, um, this guy said to me, he said, do you know, I've had to rethink my view of religion since meeting you. That was probably because I was swearing at the football. No, it's not, <laughs> that's not, it's not true, not true, not true. He, he went on to say, he said, I thought religion and church was something I could never engage with or relate to until I met you. Now, this guy isn't some sort of evangelistic target. He's become a good friend. And of course, with friends, you want the best for them, don't you? And I want him to find God. And for that reason, I shared my testimony with him in the pub. His wife recently said to Helen, he said, you, she said, you know, if ever I needed wise advice... I would come to you. Again, what a privilege. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're nothing special. You know that. Nigel knows it very well. My church would tell you a hundred reasons why. I've illustrated some this morning, why we're nothing special. But as we open ourselves up to opportunities, we find ourselves able to speak freely about our faith. And as we do things we enjoy with others who enjoy it, there's quite a natural bond. And I believe that God provides opportunities for us to invest in that bond. And he provides that opportunity for the sake of the spiritual health of those we love and those we care about. Helen and I recently went to uh, some friend's house to play with their we. Now, what a ridiculous phrase that is, isn't it? Uh, you imagine using that phrase about 10 years ago. Can I come round to your house and play with your we? What do you want to do? Get a bucket and poke it with stick? I mean, what... 
no thanks, I think I'll be fine. You know, I wonder what my grandfather would have made of that phrase. But um, anyway, we went round and we played, and we played golf, and I was so good at it. I was so good at it. And we played bowling, and I was so rubbish at it. And um, we were in teams, and we were high-fiving each other, and we were hugging each other as we got a strike or a birdie. A birdie, apparently, is a technical golfing turn. I've no idea what it means, but I was really good at them. And um, um, so let's, uh, let's not underestimate the closeness that comes about through having fun. That's really important. Let's not underestimate the closeness that comes about through just having fun. We know that instinctively. When we have fun with people, there's a bond that happens. Something happens. Let's have fun with people who perhaps don't share our faith yet. With unbelievers. Now, don't hear me wrong. I mean appropriate fun, you know. Can go out and get drunk, steal a few cars. Some non-Christians, it's all for the sake of the kingdom. I don't mean that. (laughs) You know I don't mean that. But, you know, our desire is to reach these people. And I, I would say everyone in this room can have deep relationships with friends who they are witnessing to through simply having fun. I want to ask you, how are your friendships with people who are outside the church? Because I want us, every one of us, to embrace this. Because, as I say, the, the Great Commission is a living thing. These words of Jesus, it's a living thing. And let's each of us attach ourselves to this living thing. See where it takes us. It's exciting and scary, but thrilling. You know, the, the thrill of suddenly, in the middle of a football match with pints of beer on the table, having the opportunity to share a testimony with a guy I've known for a few months. Now, of course, I realize that this is a subject which always touches on a lot of things, a number of things, really, and, and not all of that stuff is very comfortable. And so I guess I'm done, really. I'd like to finish by praying. So I wonder, whether, could we stand together? I'd just like to pray, then hand back to Nigel, and he'll decide what we're going to do next. We're pretty well done, I think. But let's stand together, shall we? I just want to pray. Father, I want to... I want to say thank you so much that you have commissioned us, even us. And that's a bit of a miracle, really. But I want to pray for every one of us, Lord. I want to pray for Gateway Church. I want to pray, Lord God, that we would truly be effective as we attach ourselves to this living thing, this great commission that you've brought to us. I want to pray that you would make us effective. I want to pray right now for those people in this room who really battle with this, who doubt that they can be an effective witness, who doubt their their past track record or their, their inner confidence. I want to pray, Lord, give them a new sense of excitement, confidence, motivation. Be with them, Lord, I pray, by your Holy Spirit. As David prayed, I pray too. Holy Spirit, come upon us and reinvigorate us, motivate us, strengthen us. I pray too. Let's just close our eyes right from this moment and picture in our mind's eye that person that we want to see come to Jesus. It may be someone who's fallen away. It may be someone who we've yet to reach with the good news of who Jesus is. Lord, we we have many images 
in our minds right now. You can see every one of them. What a miracle. Lord Jesus, you can see every one of those images, every person, every man, every woman, every child, every elderly person, every family member. You can see them. And so we lift them before you. And we say our desire is that you would reveal yourself to them, that you would illuminate their minds with your wonderful light, that you would bring the prodigals back. We ask for the prodigals, Lord. We say, please, bring them back. We call on you. I want to pray right now for people who have family members and there's pain and sadness and disappointment and say, Lord God, help them. And help this church, Lord, each of us to stand with them and bring blessing and help and prayer and support an opportunity to reach these people. Our desire, Lord God, is we would be bold for the kingdom to see you glorified by these people. So finally, Lord, I do pray for, for us as a church here in this wonderful Welsh town. We pray, Father, for a community of faith, a family, a witnessing people to go forth from here and make disciples, baptizing them, and seeing them grow in the knowledge and the love of the Lord Jesus. For your glory, Lord, is all about you. It's all about more worshippers for you. And we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.